This is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 90, No Compromises. Hello and welcome to Season 5 of our Babylon 5 Rewatch Podcast. Yes, the end is in sight. We, we're we did it, everybody. Last, we're mm-hmm. on the last leg. Uh, it's the final countdown. Uh, is it a victory lap? I guess <laughs> we will find out as we watched uh, this last season that uh, was not going to happen until like past the very last second, and then it finally did. We will be seeing what happens as uh, JMS, you know, realized his dream. He got the full amount of time that he wanted to tell his story, but, but he had to do some. But would that dream become a nightmare? <laughs> Wow, dramatic much? I figure that we've had our folks with us for four years now. Four years, count them. Four years. They may be getting tired of us. I'm injecting a little bit of drama. Mm. Uh Fair enough. Yes, now we get to see what happens when a producer has to adjust on the fly and then adjust some more on the fly because first there wasn't going to be a season five and now there is going to be a season five. And we get the full amount of time for the denouement. So, you know, JMS is very, very big on what I guess could be fairly called complete storytelling, um, where we have the rising action, building to the climaxes, building to everything happening, and then what happens next, which doesn't always get told in episodic television. So this will be an interesting thing to watch to see what happens once you've achieved everything. Now what? Yeah. And I want to say so much about what watching this episode felt like, but it is tainted so much by knowing the nature of the fifth season. And I'm just going to have to reserve most of it for after the jump gate. Yeah, there might be a decent amount of tongue biting in this episode until we get past the jump gate. Yeah, uh, spoiler space is... We got to this point, especially because they didn't know they were going to get the fifth season, where our spoiler spaces were becoming shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have one for In the Beginning. We almost didn't have one for Third Space. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we're going to have lots to talk about. And it's just... It's going to be a fascinating exercise to watch this episode the way Steven did and experience it as an episode of Babylon 5. Well, I took lots of notes on the things that he said, so, you know, we've at least got that going for us. All right. So, yes, we will begin our denouement, our downward spiral in some cases, as uh, things start to get shaky and No Compromises gets immediately into one logical consequence of the fallout uh, after the events of Season 4. So, if, for whatever reason, you decided to start with Season 5, Hi, welcome. We hope you enjoy this. There uh, were but, some people who probably did start with season five. The people yeah, who discovered it, it on TNT. Exactly. In prime time. Yes. And then went back for reruns of the old episodes. Yes, that's quite possible. But in the meantime, what you need to know. Under the leadership of John Sheridan, an interstellar coalition of races defeated a galactic threat. Under the leadership of Sheridan... An alliance of colonies and defecting forces defeated a totalitarian government in the Earth Civil War. 
For his efforts, Sheridan has been chosen as the president of a new interstellar alliance to try and establish peace in this sector of space. Which leads us to no compromises. In this episode, with Sheridan moving on and Ivanova choosing to captain a ship, Captain Elizabeth Lockley arrives on Babylon 5 to take over, convinced that she can fix all the things. An Earth Force major on the losing side of the Civil War targets Sheridan for assassination in revenge. And a group of telepaths, led by a man named Byron, seek asylum on the station. Lockley sympathizes, but says no. One of Byron's people prevents the assassination, and Sheridan overrides Lockley's decision, giving the telepaths a place to stay. And that is No Compromises. Supposedly, JMS named that deliberately for the fact that he, you know, never compromised on his overall vision for Babylon 5 and feels that he was able to mostly tell the story he wanted to tell. And yet it feels like, you know, there are all kinds of compromises. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, because he lives in the real world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The fact that we have Captain Elizabeth Lockley now and not Ivanova in well, itself. Yes. Yeah, he, he might consider mm -hmm. that, um, you know, adjusting for circumstances <laughs> instead. Who knows? Um, but anyway, we have a new season, which means we have new credits. I'd forgotten for a while that um, how the, the only thing I remembered for sure from the new credits was that wonderful big gang tag or whatever you want to call it on the end of the station with uh, Straczynski's name on, on the end of it. I always <laughs> that always makes me smile. Um, but yes. I forgot. I'd forgotten how they went through the dialogue and um, and the years. We did actually play that one um, for after the jump gate for our zero episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Stephen laughed at the stenciling on the back of the spaceship. He thought that was that was pretty funny too. He was not a huge fan of the opening credit sequence because he thought it was kind of chaotic. Like things are coming at you fast. I mm -hmm. suspect that that you know by the, halfway through the season. It might just, you know, he might get more used to it. I guess we'll just see. But uh, I mean, at first he at first he kind of thought that maybe they were trying to give new viewers an idea of the stuff that had happened. But then he quickly sort of backpedaled on that and said, no, it's way too jumbled for that. It's not going to help anybody. He thought maybe it was just more for the fans. And and I agreed. because That's I thought exactly it's, it. it. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like this is all the stuff that we have come through together, you guys. Mm -hmm. So I I really I like it. Um, right. Although Stephen Stephen pointed out that the theme, uh, especially the closing credits, I don't know if it's exactly the same music, is uh, more like a jaunty Irish dance theme now, which <laughs> he's not wrong. I didn't realize like that that those aren't words I would have used before, but now I can't unhear it. <laughs> um. Yeah. I I wouldn't have said that myself. Um. Uh, and I still can't quite see it, but I do love that. I do love this theme. I think mm -hmm. I like season fours a little bit better because it just feels more it it feels a little less like it's this this one feels like it's a bit of a victory lap. And mm -hmm. I know that uh, Stephen has in the past, you know, had had issues with B5 being self-congratulatory. And mm -hmm. I think that this is this is ever so slightly so season four's theme is much more just oh my god oh wow this is a really big story going on here this is a really big story with lots of history that you may not have seen yeah 
Yeah, I I honestly could not tell you the difference between the different like I recognize that they're not the same, but I never found any of the themes catchy in any way or memorable at all. So I like you could play one for me and I could be like, I have no idea what season that's from pretty much any of them. I just just don't (laughs) know. The one thing that Stephen pointed out about the credits that made me laugh so much was, I mean, before the credits in the cold open, we see Corwin and Stephen was very excited to see him uh, getting to leave the office, as he said. Right. And then we get the opening credits where there's a shot of the back of his head, which we saw at the beginning of the episode. And then he's not in the opening credits. And Stephen's just like, poor Corwin. He gets a back of the head shot. And then he was like, as after the opening credits, he's like, well, at least he gets a title card in the opening credits now instead of being at the end credits. But he just, I was like, yeah, <laughs> poor Corwin. Yeah, I'd actually, that crossed my mind. I was one, trying to remember if, if Corwin was like, you know, got a, a screenshot in the opening credits or just a, mm-hmm. a title card. Yeah. He, so. He's really moved up very slowly. He didn't even have yeah. a name at first. And then mm-hmm. he got a name. And then, you know, he yeah. gets shown in the opening credits. Uh, too bad there there wasn't a Babylon 5 season six because maybe he would have made it. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. And of course, we had, um, I did notice Mira Furlins now, uh, one of the top three of uh, Box Lightner, Doyle, mm-hmm. and uh, Mira Furlin. And then uh, they start uh, with the also starrings. Speaking of, yeah, opening credits and people who are in them, we have, uh, with our new season, new people. So mm-hmm. now we have a name, I mean, a face to go with the name that was thrown about in uh, a previous episode somewhere of Lockley. And now we know that this is Captain Elizabeth Lockley, who is here to apparently take over the station and clean it up. <laughs> because apparently no one else has ever bothered to try and run this place properly. Yeah, that made me laugh. Um, Steven, because as I think I have said before, possibly just in spoiler space, this is one thing that Steven knew was coming. Mm -hmm. He knew that Tracy Scoggins was going to be on the show at some point. He didn't know why or in what capacity. So, you know, she popped up in the credits and he was like, Tracy Scoggins, I didn't know she was the captain. Um, Because it says, you know, as Captain (laughs) Elizabeth Lockley. So that was kind of a neat, neat surprise for him to sort of be able to put that piece into place and be like, ah, here she is. Mm hmm. And it's a good it's a good first episode for her. And mm-hmm. the suspicion that a lot of fans might have had about her casting, about her character, and about the actress is kind of reflected in the character's reaction to her. She meets Franklin during the course of business, and mm-hmm. he just he he tries to at the end of the at the end of the conversation about the autopsy, he's like, oh, "Welcome aboard," and she's and she just sort of. She's yeah, not dismissive <laughs> of him, but she's got other things to worry about, and that's uncomfortable yeah. for him. And she and Garibaldi, of course, get along famously. <laughs> yeah, something that occurred to me watching this time that I'm not sure I thought about before. I, I get the feeling that Corwin or somebody gave Franklin a heads up um, since they weren't able to do the proper meet everybody at once thing. Um, because Franklin, the minute she walks in, Franklin is immediately like, here's the autopsy X, Y, Z. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't, you know, chit chat at the beginning. He just, you know, tells her what she needs to know. I, I, I just feel like someone told him, it's like, you know, Hey, you know, don't wait, don't waste your time. Makes sense. Yeah. But I like her in this episode. I like her quite a bit. They don't make her over familiar. They don't turn her into poochie. <laughs> um, Although I noticed she called she called Zach Zach Allen by his first name. Uh, it's like you know she's she's using mm-hmm. titles with just about everybody else, but somebody says something about security and she says something. I'll get Zach on that right away, and I'm just like, wait a minute, what? 
<laughs> yeah, that not, is interesting. Not Chief Security Allen. Not mm-hmm. you've you've got to assume that she's had some meetings prior to you know that that we just haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would Maybe. I would hope so. Chief of yeah, Security I, would be way up there at the top of the list. Yeah, my initial reaction to her is that the acting is good and, you know, the writing is good and and that sort of thing. But my reaction to her is pretty negative just because, like, the whole idea of her coming in and thinking that she can fix things and being very – she's – honestly, I think it's it's mostly personal preference because she is the kind of boss I would absolutely hate to have. Like, I would quit because I could not work with a person who who was like that. I I need the personal touch. Um, I don't – I couldn't handle somebody who's all business, so – so yeah, she's yeah. she's it's not like a great first impression for me. Yeah, I'm going to say I I think the first time I saw this episode, I was the same way and and you know, getting my back up uh with statements like that and they did leap out at me this time, but and maybe this is just personal experience because um the the school where I work at has had some turnover in the administrative level and the person who is there now came in with something of that attitude of, you know, we're going to take care of this. But the difference is so far, the administrator has been taking care of this and has been backing up uh, her words with with her actions. So, and, you know, of course, we know something about the rest of the season, having watched it before. So, you know, it didn't hit me as hard this time as I think it did before. Mm -hmm. I had a parallel. I I had somebody to compare her to. Sheridan, as a captain, has, uh, you know, he's... He has always been a little bit, I don't know, willing to work outside of the lines when necessary. Right. And just based on this, like, it, you know, she seems pretty, pretty True. tough. So maybe maybe she will will clean up the station. Well, it's also a very uncomfortable position for her to be in mm-hmm. because Babylon 5, as is discussed at length in dialogue, is still an independent state. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. She is coming in from Earth Force. We don't know what side she was on or what she did in Earth Force during the Earth Civil War, and that's called out a couple of times in this episode. Um, the opportunity for suspicion and mistrust and agendas and all of this stuff, and the easiest way to deal with that discomfort head on is to be absolutely by the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen quite liked how... Um, she's not just a direct replacement for Ivanova. Um, like she's a very different character who's taking things, you know, very differently than than Susan would. Um, and Stephen thought that it looked like she probably sided with the side against the good guys, so to speak, in the Earth War. So, um, so he was he was very pleased by by just the fact that it's not the same character. You know, it's not a rehash of somebody something that we've already seen. And it's certainly not because this is definitely an attitude that is has has not really been present in CNC. So, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can watch this episode. I don't know that this episode would have been this episode if Claudia Christian had stayed with the story. Oh yeah. The story, but if you imagine Ivanova in Lockley's position in this episode, she would react to all this stuff in entirely different ways, possibly even oh, yeah. make entirely different decisions. And mm-hmm. that's that's a sign of hope for this character because it's, as you said, not a drop-in replacement. 
Yeah, I feel like the, you know, the the big scene where we have actually all seven of our like main characters in the same room, which almost mm-hmm. never happens. Right. Uh, I, I feel like that would have totally played out differently if it had been Ivanova in charge, because I don't think she would have voted with Sheridan. She would have gone with everybody else. Right. And and, you know, because and she not... would have also been thinking in terms mm-hmm. of her friend. Uh, yeah. You know, and she with... wouldn't have uh, pissed off Delenn so colossally there. Yeah. <laughs> she whipped out of the room, which was an amazing moment for Mira Furlan, because just the way that she turned and like got her like her her dress was billowing behind her. She left so fast. I love that mm-hmm. moment. Let's see. As far as. Other characters, uh, we do have this uh, telepath guy, Byron, who had a pretty prominent role this episode. And it appears that that they're staying on the station for the foreseeable future. So we might see him again. Stephen, the the moment he appeared like lurking, Stephen Uh just went, "Uh uh-oh, long hair. (laughs) Like that oh. was his cut, and then he he's he's just like uh, when he when he was staring at Captain Lockley, he's like, "Take a picture, Fabio," and he's like, "Yep, I'm gonna call him Fabio from now on." Oh God! And then a moment later, he's like, "Actually, I think he might be in Queensryche." <laughs> like, oh my God! The '90s <laughs> styling was very, very, uh, uh, yeah, it was out there. It and was... like later when they're when he's talking about not using um. Uh, technology and all that kind of stuff. Steven's like space Amish. So I suspect if the telepaths appear again, uh, they will yeah. now be called the space Amish. Yep. Yeah. Well, we've got to have space something since the space mm. mob's gone. That's true. That well, is true. Yeah. Yeah. What annoyed me about that, that bit I'd forgotten. Um, I'd, I'd remembered the anti-violence. I had not remembered the anti-technology. It's like, dude, you're, you're, you want to live on a space station and you've like flew in spaceships to get here. You, you can't be that anti-technology. <laughs> That's true. But anyway. Mm-hmm. They're just, just those, nitpicking. they're just those folks who insist that Kindles are bad and they rely on books, you know. Yeah, those people are wrong. Yeah, they they probably have a sliding scale for uh, technology. They're probably yeah. okay mm-hmm. with Comlinks, but can't stand Apple Watches. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm trying to help Steve and uh, establish some community with these guys. I'm just saying. Gotcha. <clears throat> checks out. Story checks out. <laughs> Inside references for the win. Uh, I'm <laughs> sorry. You were saying, Shannon. I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> Other than I, I, I don't get the automatic hatred for long hair, but you know, that's just me. Well, I think that that was another thing that Stephen said. To, speaking of uh, sort of character replacements, afterwards he was he was wondering if maybe Byron is sort of a Marcus replacement because you get a weird British guy mm-hmm. with long hair, um, you know, who speaks sort of eloquently. So, I mean, I, I of course didn't say a word, but I thought mm-hmm. that was an interesting observation. That is. And then, of course, we've got um, sort of a reshuffle among our current characters, um, some of whom we have not seen for a while because we've been busy with, you know, like dealing with an Earth-centric big story, mini story arc in season four. Um, But, you know, we've got Londo and Jakar back. Mm -hmm. And apparently um, Jakar has a future as as Sheridan's speechwriter. Um, Of course, Zach and Corwin still being part of the Babylon 5 hierarchy, trying to adjust to Captain Lockley's presence. Uh, and apparently Garibaldi's been just sort of hanging around until the end of the episode when he's got a new title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which uh, that that makes sense to me because I, I feel like he has been, especially based on some of the dialogue, trying to sort of make up for the damage that he caused when he was not his own man, so to speak. And yeah. he's been trying to do his best to protect Sheridan and get this new, you know, enterprise of the Alliance off to the best start possible. So 
I, I was okay with that. Although Stephen did say, like, when, when Lockley said something about why were you even in that meeting, Stephen was like, I, too, was wondering why he was there and not Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can kind of see it, though. Garibaldi just sort of refusing to leave it alone um, yep. and mm-hmm. not being able to not being able to let Zach be his own man. Um, and Zach resists, but up to a point, you know, he's irritated, but he's also, he's also aware that Garibaldi's just got the experience and he can't mm-hmm. just turn mm-hmm. it down. Right. I thought that they, I thought they played off well off of each other. Yeah. Very. Yeah. As they usually do. It was just interesting to, to, to see, you know, as people trying to find their new roles. I mean, you know, we now know that Londo is apparently emperor or about to, about to be emperor and he's dealing with that and jakar is busy writing stuff um but yeah. <laughs> the line about the coffee stains from mr garibaldi yes. just was delivered so perfectly that was a yes. wonderful scene yeah i'm sorry was, andreas katsoulis was... kicked butt in this episode mm-hmm. there was that scene um there was, was such the scene a at the light end. a light approach mm-hmm. to jakar he was so much yeah. lighter um yes mm-hmm. and yeah. and and that works that works because Things have never been better for him, or at least haven't mm-hmm. been so good for him in a very, very long time. He's not in mortal peril. He is part what what Narn has always wanted to be is to be a part of something bigger, and now he is near the top of the Interstellar Alliance, and he is being a creator, and it's it, mm-hmm. it's just kind of cool. Um, Londo doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode, but he does get to be the butt of a just remarkably, uh, remarkable joke. Um, <laughs> I, I did say butt, didn't I? Um, yes, you did. Uh, but I, I love that scene in the pre-inauguration where John and Delyn are doing the serious conversation, but they're politicians and all eyes are them. So everything is said with the... Uh, plastic smile. smile. It's yes. great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to admit that I was slightly uncomfortable with with the idea of, you know, somebody who's not seen as, um, you know, sort of a classically beautiful from a human standpoint being the butt of a joke because he's a portly guy. He's a little bit shorter. And I'm I'm not a big fan of jokes that are just based on people's Good appearances. Point. But Good the point. way that it was yeah. the way that it was delivered, you are like it's still it still made me laugh because especially like his react, like as he's turning, he just smiles yeah. at them and waves. And it's just like it was it was incredibly well directed. And see, the reason it made me laugh is because I went back to wondering if Sheridan knows what Centauri physiology looks like. I had that thought as well. <laughs> Although yeah. that that scene, actually, Stephen pointed something out. Speaking of it being well-directed, it was well-directed. Uh, By but Janet Greek. Ha- He stopped. He actually had to stop this and rewind it and watch the scene again, because when you have the shot of um, of Sheridan and Delenn being adorable together, there are a number of people in the background because, you know, it's a party sequence. And then you get the the cut to what they're looking at in their eyeline, which is Londo talking to a younger Centauri fellow. That same actor is actually in the background shot of Delenn and Sheridan. Um, so my headcanon is they're twins. They're twins. But it, I'm certain that was not, you know, it was just nice like they save. needed to fill no. the party scene. Whoops. Well, to be fair, we haven't seen Janet Greek since season two. So mm-hmm. if, she, yeah. if she was taking a long holiday, she had to sort of get back into form. Yeah, I, I thought know. that she did an okay job. A lot of oh, the yeah. conversation scenes are your standard 
back and forth, back and forth. Not a whole mm-hmm. lot of creative camera angles in that. But the pacing is fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and the I feel like the performances are wonderful, which is something I think she's always been really good with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked a little bit about um, the uh, ending uh, with the inauguration stuff. But, you know, of course, getting there, we have this uh, assassin that is out to uh, take Sheridan down for everything that apparently Sheridan did. Uh, apparently it's all his fault that uh, mm-hmm. Earth went the way of 1984 and somebody had to pull it back. Um, Is it just to... me or was he crying in the Star Fury uh, towards the end? Um, that, that Ooh, wasn't, I don't I, know. I, I could have sworn I saw a, a, a tear running a, a tear running down one cheek as he's um, facing down Sheridan and Delenn in the Star Fury. Mm, maybe. I'd have to go back and look again. Mm-hmm. Um if, if if that's true, that that's an interesting touch. Um, there's so much of the trappings of the the obsessed madman with the the, the music box thing, um, and uh, I thought the actor. I don't know if um, the scene with the ranger at the beginning was the first scene he filmed, but it felt like he um, that he needed to get into the character a bit. I thought he did better as the um, episode went on. Yeah, I mean, he was generic, kind of creepy bad guy. Um, he wasn't certainly not the worst we've ever seen. Not the best. He was just it, perfectly serviceable. It was fine. And then, of course, you know, we had the, the focus on the, the game to give him a way mm-hmm. to get into uh, the inauguration. Quick, uh, let's find and, an alien with a helmet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But now we see what they look like under their helmets, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Although apparently, according to the, the Lurker's Guide, uh, the game that are likely to go off planet and be ambassadors or interact with other species are apparently specially bred to look more like, like to be bipedals and to look more like uh, other other aliens. Ooh, so, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. But yeah, uh, we, we get to see that. Um, and of course, we get the tie-in since uh, we've got our young uh, memory-wielding telepath there to save the day. Yeah, Steven was a little bit creeped out by that dude, just oh. especially that first scene when he's, you know, showing flowers to Captain Lockley and just not saying anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah um, I didn't real, I didn't pay attention until it was called out in dialogue that that actor was made up to look ill. Yes. Right. Um, it certainly came across in the uh, med med lab scene. JMS's uh, manifesto. Um, he had several manifestos for Babylon 5. One of them was no cute kids or robots ever. Um, <laughs> there was one in Believers in First Season. We know how that went. And, well, here we go again. <laughs> Why isn't Jason Snell with us on this one? Yeah, good, well, because we yeah. don't care about this kid, probably. Yeah. <laughs> At least I didn't. I cared a little. I mean... I mean, it was sad. It was it was sad that he died, and I was I appreciated what he did for Captain Sheridan. But I don't think that the episode was terribly successful in building up the same kind of feeling for him that I had for you know, say the kid in Believers, or you know, the the cute kid that dies with the the what's the race where ever they all died. Anyway, like Confessions I, and Lamentations is the episode, but yeah, like I cared about. I cared about them more than I cared about this kid because, I don't know, he freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> I'm on Team Steven here. His presence, I think, is supposed to be a bit disturbing. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's his telepathy is different and he's not uh, in a position to or not willing to or able to explain himself. 
uh, having to rely on other people to do it. So I, I, I think unease is warranted. Um, mm-hmm. I, which made me kind of appreciate all the more that, you know, Lockley was kind of moved when she heard what little background they had on him and, you know, said, thank you. I thought that was a, a nice touch to soften her character a bit compared to what we've seen of her before. It ends for him as most cute kids in mm-hmm. in Babylon 5 thus far. I don't think we ever had Captain Sheridan in the same sort of predicament where you basically have B-5 security doing the secret service in front of Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. kind of thing, Joe's throwing themselves in front of the right. PPG blasts. That is kind of interesting. This is a new normal for uh, Sheridan. He is a politician. Right. He's not carrying mm-hmm. a sidearm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. he and he's feeling it. I mean, the, the, the scene where they're all having the emergency meeting and talking about it, you know, he says flat out, I'm not going to live inside a bubble. I'm you know, and he has his, you know, big rant about politicians who, you know, hide behind fences and walls and never and are never out there with the people. And he hates that. Um, and he doesn't compromise on that. And that leads to, you know, the scene in the inaugural ball where people are having to throw themselves in front of him to protect him. Now, Sheridan, you need to be careful. I believe Cartagia claimed to dress up in, uh, in disguise and <laughs> hang around the people too and that didn't work out so well for him i don't think sheridan was going to disguise himself though he was actually just going to be seen so it's totally different totally 100 totally. percent different gotcha mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking speaking of the, the the threat to him uh i just wanted to point out one thing that steven observed that i did not know um the sequence where he comes into his uh actually no it's before he even enters his quarters it's when we get the the message up on the screen right. the text message to start with uh we start with a pan across his quarters and it lingers on a bowl of oranges yes and and i was just like "Ooh, oranges that's like a huge sign of wealth on babylon 5 it would have to be and steven goes well in the godfather it's a sign of imminent death and then it pans up to the note and i was like oh okay that had to be on purpose well see and for me that's that's a running thing i mean sheridan's always been you know like you know oranges Mm -hmm. and fresh squeezed orange juice that's you know he was saying that when he first arrived on babylon 5 that um he hadn't Mm -hmm. had a good glass of orange juice in like the two years he'd been on the Agamemnon. So I guess you'd call that a bank shot. It's both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. I just referenced best turn. Good dear. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I guess you'd nice call work. that a bank shot. I'm sorry. I'm proud of myself. Continue, please. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Anything else sort of plot related from either of the storylines that we've got going on that we haven't touched on already? I don't know if it's plot related, but I was so happy to see that Babylon 5 finally has private comms. Good grief. <laughs> so <laughs> because, is that a new development you know, or did they finally realize that, you know, this is something that should happen once in a while? I, don't I guess I, I don't know. It's just it, that is one thing that has always sort of frustrated me that people are just talking mm-hmm. into the back of their hands and then the noise is just going off into the air. And, you know, finally, we have the security guys saying, let's switch to private. Oh, there's a private? Why have we never seen that before? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'll say, I, going back to Garibaldi and his um, almost desperate need to make good, it says something that he basically just hopped into a star fury without a spacesuit to, to go mm-hmm. and uh, try to grapple the um, assassin star fury out of the way. And he's really nervous about that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice little bit of verisimilitude there. It's a pretty good episode. It is, it, it's got mm-hmm. so much heavy lifting to do to establish the new status quo. I do think that they 
tried to do it for the benefit of people who had never seen Babylon 5 before at all after as well because if mm-hmm. i recall correctly uh you, you had the you had in the beginning and the gathering airing on TNT and then a couple weeks worth of reruns uh that began right after that uh daily monday through friday for uh season 1 and after those couple of weeks that's when season 5 started airing in prime time mm-hmm. such a such such a wealth of stuff this was this was the pinnacle this was the pinnacle for babylon 5 so so much attention ads playing during the nba finals things like that you know um Mm -hmm. and after nearly dying year after year and as their network fell apart around them uh in the fifth season they almost have it all yeah and i like that they took a lot of opportunities in where they could it felt like to um, bring back things that we haven't seen in a while, you know, things that, you know, the fans that have been watching would be like, you know, oh, yeah, I remember that or that's still a thing um, and take the opportunity to introduce them to new fans. Um, for example, you know, we, we see a ranger, you know, we, he gets killed right away. But, you know, we see a ranger and we get the taste of, you know, what rangers are and what their role is. Uh, we still see Narns acting on uh, the security crew. And we get a little bit of background on Narns that their lives were very difficult right. because, you know, they were, yeah. yep, that, yeah, they're not even named until they're 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we, for the first time in a really long time, we see the use of the different atmosphere section of the station, of the game mm-hmm. going into an area that uh, the air is not breathable for humans. And then the assassin, you know, follows and grabs a helmet in order to go in and steal the mask. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and yeah, and we also get like you know you mentioned reintroducing these characters. You get a little bit of that good old cornball Sheridan yeah. that, that we have gotten on <laughs> and off. You know his story about washing his socks and you know mimicking his his old drill sergeant or whatever. Like that's that is not out of character. That is that is Sheridan, especially that is Sheridan interacting with Delenn mm-hmm. together alone. That was yeah. It, it was it was a little much for me, but it seemed it seemed appropriate. Yeah. I found mm-hmm. myself dividing the story itself. The dialogue itself was about to drive me up a wall, but Box Leitner was carrying it off just beautifully. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we get a taste of what domestic life is going to be for Sheridan and Delenn. Right. And I mm-hmm. really do like that it's sort of set up to provide Delenn with a lot of agency. She, mm-hmm. at this point, she's got stuff to do with the, as the Mimbari ambassador they're keeping separate quarters there it's it feels very very real to me and it and, mm-hmm, and yep. in a way that respects both characters it remains to be seen how much agency delin will have compared to sheridan in this season it does feel a little odd that she is wearing colors that she has never worn before in this episode that make her almost look like a bride Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, Sheridan, as the president, is the focus of the assassin, and she will be there by his side when he's threatened. And at the one point, that's, hey, strong to Lynn. And on the other hand, that's standing by your man. So a little, mm-hmm. for the most part, this is a presentation of a marriage as a partnership, a partnership of equals. You mentioned some of the things that Stephen had had told you. Uh, are there any other things that you haven't had a chance to mention yet? He was happy to see that Sheridan still has a beard. 
I will, I will say that. <laughs> yep, he just yelled beard as soon as Sheridan appeared on the screen. Box Leitner did not want the beard. Oh, really? <laughs> Melissa Gilbert did not want the beard. Well. But Box Leitner indulged Ooh. JMS because JMS wanted him to look a little older, look a little mm. separated from his old job. That's fair. Uh, well, it, it certainly played well with our control group. Uh, he he was also sort of, uh, he noted that uh, when the, the title came up, he said, no compromises and no quotes around it. We now have no okay. quotes around the titles. So that's that's new. Uh, but overall, he just, he liked it. He thought it was good. And I, I agreed with him. It was, it was tight. Um, and it really did feel like a good starting out episode. I am excited to watch season five. And so is Steven. Yeah. It definitely felt like um, a sort of a return to um, the solid status quo of Babylon 5, because, you know, since uh, which I don't know that we've had since Rising Star, at least as far as the podcast is concerned, because then we had the deconstruction of Falling Stars, which was, you know, shoehorned in as a new season four finale when things changed. Uh, and then we wound up mm-hmm. doing in the beginning and third space. So um, so now, yeah, we're back to it feels yeah. like we're back on form. Episodic television for the win. Yeah. Okay. Anything else that uh, is safe for pre-spoiler space that we have not brought up? There's going to be another episode that we're going to talk about in two weeks. We can say that before spoilers, can't we? Yes, we can. Uh, We can also Mm -hmm. say that uh, the episode in question for your homework is The Very Long Night of Londo Malari. So apparently we are back to a Londo-centric episode for the first time in a while. Um, we can also say that we have social media that you are all very welcome to come and and speak at us and twi- tweet at us and type at us. Uh, we are at b5audioguide.com where we have chat threads for everybody to talk about episodes, pre-spoiler and post-spoiler, so you can pick your poison. Uh, we are also on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide. Please come say hello. And with that, let's go into spoiler space. Byron, 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 Byron. Uh, this will be interesting because I, I don't remember hating the character the way a lot of people do. Um, I do. You know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> but I we'll don't see. so far. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am slightly squicked, squicked out by him, mm-hmm. but not like I just I don't hate him yet mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting like when Steven said that he thought Byron was sort of a Marcus replacement yep, like yep, my yep. stomach curdled I was just like <laughs> I kept a poker face you guys but it was so hard so hard and that's exactly why I... he that's exactly why he looks the way he does that's why yep. he has that accent mm-hmm. that meeting between Byron and Lockley would have been so different for Byron and Ivanova. It would not have been a, I, I don't think that it would have been a love arc between the two of them, but he would have thrown her. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. Ivanova's a latent telepath, so there, she almost certainly would have, like, sensed something else or different sooner mm-hmm. yeah. uh, about him. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's so interesting um, watching this episode and encountering Byron and trying to put yourself in the mindset of what if you're only seeing this guy for the first time and mm-hmm. you don't know how big and um, defining the telepath colony arc is going to be for the first half of the season. Um, I think he's fine in this one, but it's, you know. 
as good as the telepath-heavy episodes can be. I mean, there's it's always somewhat awkward, you know, no matter what, when you're dealing with, you know, people who have to sort of stare at each other. Um, the scene where he's introducing uh, the other people in the group, you know, and they're all just sort of like, you know, there and not talking because, you know, they can't afford to pay them to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, although this time I, I had missed the uh, the two women closer than sisters thing. I'm, you know, suspecting that that was a careful reference to a lesbian couple, which a, a careful 1990s yes. reference. Yep. Yes. Yep. I, yes, I know the times, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in my case, part of this may be, you know, Robin Eck and Downs has gone on to do a lot of voice acting in properties that I'm a fan of. So I, He's I'm the just feeling... in Team Fortress 2, y'all. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'll, I'll I'm feeling here. very, um, you know, kind towards the actor at the moment. And it. so mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see what happens as I mean, we rewatch. I have no problems with Robin Atkin Downs. I feel like he is doing what he's being asked to do and he's doing Mm -hmm. it very well. It's just that I don't know. I mean, does is he playing it more smarmy than he could be? Or is that just what they're asking him to to sort of be? It's yeah. So like it's not him. He's he's good at what he does. I just don't particularly like it. But here here I really don't have a great problem with it mm-hmm. you know in in general it's fine i am yeah. trying really hard to watch with sort of an open mind and be like okay let's look at this fresh let's just see and you know on the face of it he really does have an excellent point like we've been shown that's that that psychor mm-hmm. are the bad guys all right. the way along these are people who have have decided not to go that route all they want is a home um and and just to be left alone and you know i i support that so 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 far, I'm I'm trying to be like, all right, maybe maybe he's not so bad. Maybe mm-hmm. the maybe. the other thing that I'm picking up on in this in, in this episode, I do pick up some of it and of what's going to be in future episodes. Um, Shannon and I live in a community with a lot of political activism and a lot of political communities, and what I can appreciate now that I didn't have as much experience with when I first watched this is the mindset of uh, a political community uh an outside community the mistrust the community ritual kind of thing this is very much a closed group and they've got their own ideas and you can even in this episode see a few of the hints of how actually they're not going to wind up playing well with others on this station because they've been through too much it is a little culty like mm-hmm. it just feels that way from the outside. It, it it is, and I think it's intended to be. And mm-hmm. where Byron winds up, just sort of, uh, just sort of falls right into that. Yep. I will be especially interested to see how uh, Stephen reacts to uh, Lita's arc with these folks, mm-hmm. and 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 it radicalizes Lita, and she's she she ends the season in a very 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 different place. It's like. Gra- she she's had a gradual arc ever since the end of season two, and all of a sudden, uh, whoop, you know, it's it's and and it's this group that does it to her, right? Optimistic for the moment. <laughs> I yeah. think I'm going to like this better than I did at the time. We will see. Right. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I can't uh, wait to watch it, like, you know, as you said, with Steven, just to see mm-hmm. how he reacts to it. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it'll definitely be interesting. Um, 
something that uh, JMS, Chip, and I watched the little featurette that went on the DVD, sort of, you know, introducing season five to the people who presumably had, you know, bought the DVD set because they already saw it. <laughs> uh, because it, you know, spoils, not super, super specific, but it spoils a lot of things. Um, but it talks about uh, how the original timeline, we finally know that season four was meant to end with intersections in real time as the last episode. And then season five was supposed to start with um, Between the Darkness and the Light, Endgame, and Rising Star to wrap up uh, the Earth Civil War. So that that all got crammed into season four. And we've talked plenty about how that, you know, sort of hurt some things, hurt some character development and some other stories um, that JMS had wanted to tell inside season four. And I'm going to be curious to see if it feels like season five has too much time. Uh, because I can think right now of two episodes that I would call bottle episodes um, that don't advance any kind of longer story arc at all. There's Day ooh, of the ooh, Dead. Ooh. And A View from the Gallery. And A View from the Gallery. Yep. Yeah, those two. <laughs> yep. The only two episodes that I can actually remember the names of from season five. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, funny. I, I mean, in some ways, this feels like a bookend to season one. Because mm. mm-hmm. the... because. True. The the pacing slows down not just because of the shuffling episodes, but because this is a denouement season, mm-hmm. um, um, the falling action, whatever you want to call it. Um, but we are about to get several episodes that, if they're not bottle episodes like Day of the Dead and View from the Gallery, they are going to be kind of a slice of life in the new normal that is Babylon 5. I mean, mm-hmm. President Sheridan. Um, building an alliance. Both wars are over. You know, this is this is a time to breathe. Oh, next week's episode's a bottle episode. The okay. very night, long night of Londo oh, yeah. Malari. Mm-hmm. It's all about Londo's redemption arc. It's got some. It's got some hints to the future and things like that. Some weird stuff going on there. But watch watch Sheridan's uh, costume changes next time, y'all. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, this season is going to feel an awful lot like season one to me i think and that could be that could be good that could be bad mm-hmm. yeah that's a good observation it's a it, like they're bookends basically for the series yeah um yeah and as far as uh as we're still talking a bit about uh londo uh jms pointed out in the featurette he pointed out specifically Londo as sort of the character who um, ends up in a worse place than he started, whereas most of the other characters wind up in better places. Mm. Um, the, the last half of season five is mostly about the fall of Centauri Prime and um, the Centauri uh, pull, being pulled out, of, pulling itself out of the Alliance, uh, the effects of the Drock, and all that. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it kind of from a storytelling and narrative perspective that makes sense because he is the one that made so many choices that led down such dark roads that you know you you need to have a punishment i guess of some sort you don't necessarily want to you know while he it's great because you get two things happening at once you get that that he ends up in in a worse place his planet is is in a worse place which you know seems kind of poetic justice for because he brought it on himself but at the same time you also get to see his character change and be lifted up in a completely different direction he oh, yeah. recognizes the error of his ways to some extent oh yeah i mean next Maybe. week's next time's episode is going to be yep. his redemption story basically yep. mm-hmm. 
And I wonder if the fact that we do get such a great overall arc for Londo um, makes the Lanier story even more frustrating. I mean, we haven't seen mm. a much of Lanier in a while, but the fact that Lanier's decision-making goes south mainly in this season so quickly mm-hmm. that, you know, to the point where he actually, you know, tries by neglect to to let Sheridan die um, because he thinks, you know, then Delenn will turn to him. Um, yeah, there's so, there's there's nothing in the first, like, couple of seasons that really prepares us for this possibility, and we only get hints of it in season three and season four, and that all gets, you know, crammed into here. I... And- I- I think we got plenty. I mean, we we talked every time we had a yeah. Lanier moment, we zeroed in on it. But it still didn't feel, yeah, but it still didn't feel like it really kicked in until late season three. So. I think I'm, I will be, I think Steven's experience of, of watching Lanier's arc is going to be very different from, from what mm-hmm. mine was and probably what yours was because he's been listening to the non-spoiler space of this podcast and we have been sort of zeroing in on those things and pointing them mm-hmm. out. And those are the kinds of things, as I've said before, I didn't notice because I just hadn't lived enough in the real world to recognize right. sort of right. those, those pointer signs and he's having them called out to him. So yeah. when all is said and done, I, I look forward to asking him what he thought of that arc and if it right. if it was well enough telegraphed okay um speaking of relationships uh apparently we're going to find out in a couple episodes down the line that uh, sheridan and lockley were married once <laughs> i love their the first scene with both of them yes it is so stiff but like you know it's supposed to be stiff and mm-hmm. you know i i know why because yeah. not only is it you know there are perfectly good reasons for them to just, you know, have sort of a stiff interaction mm-hmm. to start with. But knowing that extra little layer and wrinkle, watching this episode yeah. from the other side was just delightful because their body language, the way that they spoke to each other in, you know, short mm-hmm. sort of brief sentences. Oh, it's just excellent. Yeah. And and certain bits of dialogue that just, you know, good to see you again. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, that tells us that, you know, that they at some point had met before. Yeah, um, and him insisting that he chose her strictly solely on, the, on her record. That yep. leaped out at me, too, solely on your background. Mm-hmm. And what another thing that caught me was um, there was a point, and this may have been when they had their emergency meeting, but when she steps up and starts talking, and Sheridan just gets this sort of smile on his face, like, and it's almost like a, yeah, that's, that's the girl I remember smile, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, like you said, the, their body language, their expressions um, are all hinting at something that, you know, the first time viewer might not pick up on, um, other than yeah. the fact that they have met before and know each other's records. Even, yeah, smile- when, he, even when he gets the call from Corwin that Captain Lockley is arriving, he yes. looks awkward right in that moment in, yes. in the room with just Delin. We would not have picked up on that at the time. Mm-hmm. I suspect that we reacted, if I recall correctly, I reacted poorly to the revelation that that just felt like it was coming out of thin air. It was mm-hmm. contrived, mm-hmm. twee. It gave us a really funny gag at the end of the episode where uh, Delin is not at all happy with Sheridan as they're lying in bed. This you could have told me moment uh, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But as with as with the linear stuff, it's actually there if you pay attention to it and you know it's coming. Mm Yeah. And I mean, even if you notice those things in those moments, 
there seem to be perfectly good reasons for it. Like him seeming slightly uncomfortable when the new captain is coming in. Sure, because that's somebody who's taking over his old job, which he probably right. feels really strongly about. When he right. gets the smile on his face when she steps up in the emergency meeting, that could just be him congratulating himself because he picked the right person for the job. Because look at look at her, you know, standing up to everybody. Like all of those things. But we know better. Mm-hmm. A couple other things that I thought of that are going to be happening. Um, this is the, of course... Apparently, Sheridan's decision to shelter the telepaths is what's going to lead us to uh, what was referenced in Deconstruction of Falling Stars, that um, the telepath's decision was the worst thing he did his first year in office. We all know there's going to be a telepath. Well, you helped start it, buddy. It was practically his first day in office. I mean, he had (laughs) just been... (laughs) And the heck, of course, he was trying to do it for the right reasons. There's going to be a telepath war. We need some telepaths on our side that, again, that owe us. I mean, you know, it's it's all back to Lita, you know, the fact that, you know, we mm-hmm. give Lita protection. And so she works for us. She does stuff for us when we need her to. It's the same attitude. Yeah, um, it's so not, just like strategic. And it's not mal- and yeah, it's strategic. It's not malevolent, but it's strategic and it's not taking the people into account. Mm-hmm. It, he's thinking like a soldier, like a, like a, man, a commander. And not like a politician yet. So, yep. Even though he <sighs> claims that it's a political decision, and nope. and 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 they, he and Lockley will have a falling out in a few episodes because he's going to do it a few more times, and he's going mm-hmm. to convince himself that he's not walking all over Lockley. He's just, it's a political decision. It's my call, and he makes everything a political decision. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's where do you cut the line between operational and political when the operations are taking place on a space station like Babylon 5? It's just, I mean, Lockley really just walked into an incredibly muddy situation there. And it's it, it is going to bear that out because because, yeah, those those lines are so fuzzy that, you know, Sheridan can pretty much pull rank and just just call it political anytime he wants to. And he just keeps doing it. Yeah. And uh and that makes season five all the more challenging to watch because, mm-hmm. again, Sheridan Sheridan cannot be the big damn hero all the time anymore. He is yeah. he is a flawed politician, and mm-hmm. you know you. It's really important for the Lockley character to step up in these in, in these situations, and she does have her she does have her moments where she gets to be the big damn hero, but. Uh, she's still got to share the screen with a guy who has become president and JMS is actually trying to make it interesting by making it real. And I do think that swashbuckling Captain Sheridan is slightly more interesting than President Sheridan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Personally, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of, um, and this again comes from watching the featurette before the DVD episode um i had forgotten that uh garibaldi has a uh several episodes covering several episodes arc of um falling falling back into his addiction falling back to his addiction for a while so yeah actually i'd forgotten about that too and i can't remember what it was that i read or saw that reminded me of that and i was like oh that's right yeah darn yeah, exactly. I mean, he may wind up in a very good place when all is said and done, but season five is going to put him through another round of hell to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think what you said, Chip, about season five being like somewhat difficult to watch. I, I think it it really is. There are a lot of things, you know, watching 
watching these characters that we have come to know and love uh, go through these difficult situations and make choices that are not good. And I understand that that's drama and that's the way this works. But that's the that particular type of of choice making that goes in, you know, that's the kind of drama that just is it's rough for me as a viewer. So yeah. so it'll be interesting this time to, you know, just be trying to sort of set that aside and just take in the the drama as is. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about Lanier and how much setup he gets for his fall. Um Garibaldi's largely comes out of the blue following the uh, realization that he can't do anything to Bester after what Mm -hmm. Bester did to him. So even though we have seen him fall off the wagon before, way back in season one, uh, for the span of one episode, it may actually be more believable that Lanier makes the choices that he makes because of the setup from Mm -hmm. from a dramatic narrative point of view even though from a real world addiction point of view what happens to garibaldi is entirely plausible oh, yeah. entirely mm-hmm. we it's it's let's look at this throughout the season you know mm-hmm. is jms trying to do a more real world approach to storytelling in season 5 with addiction and jealousy and politics how well is that pulled off? Is it easier to go with space opera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, space opera and and sort of fantasy. We really focused on the the sort of fantastical. And yes, it's still science fiction, but you know the the good mm-hmm. versus evil, that kind of sweeping narrative. And then now we just have people in the trenches trying to do their jobs, and it's a totally different kind of show. And I think you know both are worthy, but they're they're very different, and it is a bit of a, a hard left turn. Yeah, and there's mm-hmm. so much pr- so-called prestige television these days that delves into politics. You're going back a little a, a ways to to the West Wing, uh, to stuff like The Wire and other shows that you know really dig in deeper. And B five is a product of its time. It's mid nineties. It's mid nineties science fiction that's trying to do something a little different. Uh, trying to get a little bit of, I don't know, maybe Asimov, you know, politics, the foundation, I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> you know, trying to give you just a little bit of that and maybe it's an awkward fit. Okay. Then uh, thank you all for listening as we open up season five of our Babylon 5 rewatch. Again, please visit our website at b5audioguide.com or say hi on Twitter or Tumblr at b5audioguide. Uh, next week, we will be covering The Very Long Night of Londo Malari. It's an episode and... all about insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Stephen King book? and with that uh, this is Shannon and Durham Chip and Durham and Erica and Edmonton and you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5 (laughs) 